0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. Great to have you in on this wonderful Wednesday, a fired up, a feisty Wednesday, if I do say so myself. It's gonna be a fun show, no question about that. We got a lot to talk about in the world of sports, a lot of football, a lot of NBA. The, the, the fight heard round the world last night between my Warriors, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. A lot to get into in there, and, and why we are uh, listen. I, I, listen, I get people out there hate Draymond Green. I mean, it's, it's as a Warriors fan, I'm used to it in some aspects, I understand it, but there are aspects of what the Minnesota Timberwolves did. Two players in particular, Jay, Dana McDaniels and Rudy Gobert, in particular, that are just getting overlooked because we hate the Warriors. Oh, it's the dynasty, they're the villains of the league. Uh, we, but we are just ignoring a very multiple uh, key factors. I'll get into that on today's show, also. And we, which, by the way, that's going to be on carving up the context. Also, Bryson's best 10, my top 10 teams in the National Football League coming into or going into, rather, week 11. Going to be some fun stuff there. A new number one, and a spoiler alert it will involve one of the two teams playing in the huge, Monday night game, a week from now between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs, but a lot of shakeup in Bryson's best 10, no question about it. One team flew up the list. Uh, Some teams are out and some teams are are back in after being out last week. I'll discuss that in about 45 minutes. At the end of the show, going to get into uh, my predictions for tomorrow night's big. We got some great games for week 11, week before Thanksgiving essentially, but we've got Bengals, we've got Ravens, massive matchup in the AFC North that doesn't just have big implications for those two teams, but for my Steelers for the Cleveland Browns, who just lost to Sean Watson, who I will get into in about 15 to 20 minutes from now. But first, I did want to start with the Monday night game between the Bills and the Broncos, which the Broncos won 24 to 22. Uh, Now, I did pick Denver to win. Uh, I said 24 to 20, sue me. It was 24-22. But the Broncos won on a walk-off field goal, and it looked just about like every single Buffalo lost this season. And this is why I've been saying for a while, like this notion that the Buffalo Bills are contenders. I mean, I said coming into the season, I said they're going to miss the playoffs. Everything that could have gone wrong for the Bills minus losing one of their superstar players, Allen, Diggs, Von well, Von Miller, is not a superstar at this stage of his career. That's pretty clear. But I said Buffalo still is a terrible offensive line coming into the season. Still is no running game coming into the season. Both are True. Von Miller's coming off of an injury. Tredavious White has an injury history. Hate it for the kid. He got hurt. Matt Milano, they lost their starting linebacker. He's gone for the season. Oh, and no, oh, by the way, they happened to lose the defensive coordinator in the offseason, Leslie Frazier. He just left the middle of the night, nowhere to be found. So Sean McDermott took over the defensive play calling responsibilities, and Josh Allen has regressed in terms of his decision-making. All of those were true coming into the season and yet we're surprised why the Buffalo Bills are sitting here at five and five. Folks could have told you this coming in. Could have told you this coming in. And, and, and I will, all I will do, and I'll get into Denver, but all I will do is reiterate what I've been saying about this team for the last six months. It's Josh Allen. Let's start with him. Is he a special talent? No question about it. He's got the best arm in the league. He has improved drastically. I've always given Josh Allen this, always on this show for years. I said he came into this league, barely completed 50% of his passes. Right now, he's he's north of 70%. Hats off to him. He's improved in that regard. That's what gives me a lot of hope for Anthony Richardson in Indianapolis if he's able to stay healthy. There's a lot of great with Josh Allen. And when he's great, he's like, you know know what he is? You know what Josh Allen is or who he is at the end of the day? You know, I call Anthony Davis coin flip Davis. You know, I call him that coin flip Davis, Anthony Davis. And when he's great, he's really great. When he's bad, he's really bad. That, my friends, is Josh Allen. At his peak, four touchdowns, five touchdowns, somewhere in that ballpark. Think about games like earlier this season against the Dolphins or against the Raiders. That's a big game this season. But in his valleys, four turnovers uh, against the Jets and three turnovers against, against the Denver Broncos on Monday night, including a bad, I mean, end of the first half. I'm not sure what Josh is looking at. Left side of the field, corner si- <laughs> corner sitting right there. The the type of listen. I know Josh Allen is a big arm, and that's that's sometimes a symptom of having a great arm. It's kind of like the, the 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 curse of it is that you think you can fit the ball in the windows that probably aren't even or don't even exist. They're not even there. He's tried to fit the balls in the windows on the left on the left side of the field and right side of the field. This one on the left side couldn't make the throw, which frankly no quarterback can make, and uh, and he gets picked off. But Josh Allen was inconsistent throughout the night, up and down, roller coaster, coin flip, as I would say, throughout the night and it costs the Bills in the long run. Now, props to him, props to the Bills, a team that, as I mentioned, cannot run the football to save their lives. Last drive of the game, or their last drive of the game, their last offensive drive of the game, didn't get a single yard. Did not get a single yard on a pass plate. You had James Cook uh, running wild to get started. You had Josh Allen uh, running for the touchdown to give them the lead. And then Russell Wilson props to him in that Broncos offense for getting the ball down into field goal range. And then you had the 12 men on the field incident, which we'll get into with Sean McDermott and the Broncos walked it off. But this is what I've been saying about Josh Allen for a while. Is he a special talent? Yes. But again, we've seen special talents in the NFL. I mean, Josh Allen, I'm hearing him compared to Brett Favre. Well, sure. I mean, difference is the <laughs> Brett Favre has... Three MVPs. Matter of fact, is the last guy to win three straight MVPs. He does have a Super Bowl and another appearance in that game. I mean, Brett Favre is one of the ten greatest quarterbacks ever. Now, Josh, I think, is more physically gifted than Favre, but in terms of decision making, they're both in the same category. I see what people see in that regard, where it's big arm, questionable decision maker. And speaking of which, if you think about Josh Allen when he came to the league, uh, he threw twelve. Was it twelve? Yeah, twelve interceptions. First year in the league, it's like, oh gosh, not a great decision maker. You know, since his rookie year, he leads the NFL in interceptions with 71. He said, "Bryce, like, come on, you got to take his rookie year out. Got to take his rookie year out. A lot of guys have down rookie seasons. I mean, Jared Goff was was horrible, awful as a rookie. Now he's a top 10 quarterback. I don't even think that's deniable. And I think he's firmly in the MVP discussion. Guys can get better. Okay, rookie year's hard for a lot of guys. Well." Since 2019, he's also leading the league in interceptions with 59. Well, Bryson, he didn't have Stephon Diggs. Bills got to the playoffs, and he wasn't a superstar quarterback at that point. Okay, well, let's go to 2020 when he finished in the top three for MVP and voting for MVP. Since 2020, he leads the NFL in interceptions with 50. Since 2021, he leads the NFL in interceptions with 40. Since 2022, last year, he leads the NFL in interceptions with 25. And this year, leads the league in interceptions with 11. This is who he is. Now, can it be minimized with better coaching? No question about it. We've seen Josh's peak. We saw that playoff game against Kansas City. I get it was almost two years ago, and you're like, man, that's a long time ago, Bryson. Don't you say, Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? Yes, I do. I I firmly believe that. That's why Bryson's best 10. That's, again, 45 minutes from now. That's kind of what I base it a lot off of, and your track record as well. I've seen Josh be great. But there really is no in-between. There's no average game for Josh Allen. It's either he's awesome or he's terrible. My man Mike Guido was on the 8 o'clock spot last night. Check that out every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time, live on the Grid Network. Mike Guido, uh, who was was on, actually won the game. Props to him. Uh, Mike made a, a great point. He was saying Josh Allen is almost always the reason you win and almost always the reason you lose. That's the case. I mean, we've seen Mahomes in the past play awesome and lose shootouts. Like, you can't you can't blame a 38-35 loss on Mahomes. Like, we've seen that. All those games, against gets Brady. Uh, that game, he gets Brady in the playoffs. His first year to start. Can't put that on Mahomes. He, he put up 30-plus points, threw for multiple touchdowns. He was great. Like, the, the, not every— But that's, that's what you can say about Josh. Whereas, where it's— The Buffalo offense is way too reliant on him and on Stephon Diggs does not have a running game to support him, does not have an offensive line to protect him. All of those things are true. And then I'll move to Sean McDermott. But what I've been saying about Josh all offseason, like I kind of saw the light in him a little bit in terms of his flaws, in terms of his deficiencies, and they're showing them themselves this year. It's not just the interceptions. How many times, look, I get he has a big body. He's, he's 6'6", big, strong. What are we going to give him, 260? I mean, he's the, he's the biggest quarterback in the league. But oftentimes, what do we see with these bigger guys? They think they can take those hits that somebody like a Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson or Tua can't take, the smaller quarterbacks. The run over linebackers, the case of Josh Allen, they'll try and hurdle guys. They'll try and, and make a superhuman play when it really isn't there. Reminds me a little bit of Cam Newton, who broke down physically at the end of his career. Reminds me of Ben Roethlisberger, who part of Ben's problem was He didn't take care of his body in the offseason, but even in-season, Ben took some shots out there. And some of them he didn't have to take. That's where Josh Allen is at. That, to me, is where an upgrading coaching would help him. But some of this is DNA stuff. Some of this, I've been saying, this word I've been using about Josh, he's a reckless player. He takes risks. He he takes risks that, that have low rewards. That's where I'm at with Josh Allen. He's still, in my mind, undeniably a top-ten quarterback, and the Bills undeniably can win a Super Bowl with him. But he's the type of quarterback where it's like, Josh, turn him loose. You can turn Joe Burrow loose. You can turn Mahomes, at times, loose. Can't do that with Allen. Heck, I think you can with Hurts. Can't do that with Josh Allen, and that's a problem. For Sean McDermott, this is now multiple times this season. You know, eventually, if you're a student and you get your uh, you get your your midterms in, and maybe they're not great. There's some some B minuses, some C pluses. Maybe there's a D in one of your classes. Like not great, but it's like ah, maybe I just wasn't focused coming in off the summer. You know, had some fun and and just just my mind wasn't in the right place uh, in, in the first half of the semester. Whatever the case may be, fine. It's all fine and good. But if we come back by finals, which, you know, and, and your grades are looking either the same or worse, then that's probably just who you are. Maybe the focus problem is something you always had. It's just getting exposed because of certain circumstances. In the case of the Bills, and I've been saying this, they're not that good of a roster. Josh Allen's an elite quarterback. Stephon Diggs is an elite receiver. Outside of that, where, are, where is Buffalo great? It doesn't exist. I can tell you, though, a lot of areas where they're bad, they have a bad offensive line. They have clearly, if you look at pass block win rate, win rate, the whole rate, pro football focus will tell you all about it. Bottom 10 in the NFL, pass block win rate, bottom 10 in the NFL as an offensive line. Every time pro football focus comes out their rankings, I mean, I've seen the Bills rank to the bottom five, bottom 10 right now. They don't have a good running game. Their secondary is beat up. It's not bad, but it's not great. Von Miller is shot physically. A lot of that is age and injury. They're not great really anywhere except for Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, who today, not really sure he even wants to be in Buffalo. He saw his brother Trayvon Diggs tweet after the game. He said, man, 14's got to get out of there. That's coming from his brother. It's not coming from some random player from a, who, who, who plays another conference. This is his brother. He says, man, 14's got to get out of there. when a family member says something, it hits different than if some random star player says it. So I'm not sure Stefan wants to be there. But for Sean McDermott, this is now multiple times, multiple times the Buffalo Bills have been awful, awful situationally. You look at that game against the Jets, tight. Again, some of that's on Josh Allen for the turnovers, but defense is playing well throughout most of the game. Give up a touchdown late to Garrett Wilson to tie the game and obviously give up the walk-off uh, putt return for a touchdown at the end. If you think about that game against the New York Giants, a game in which they won for the record. There's a pass interference at the end. Remember this play against Darren Waller? I think it was Micah Hyde on him. He's grabbing him, holding him. It's an obvious—you know me, I don't criticize refs much. That was an obvious pass interference. They just got the benefit of the fact that the refs did not throw the, the yellow flag onto the, onto the green carpet. And Buffalo escaped. Bad situationally. How about at the game against Tampa Bay? Tampa Bay is down two scores with five minutes to go. Have multiple fourth downs. So the Buffalo Bills have defenses multiple opportunities with Sean McDermott calling the defensive plays to get off the field. And Baker, the Bucks' offense, converts fourth down after fourth down. After fourth down, he threw a touchdown on fourth down to Mike Evans to cut it to a one-score game. Matter of fact, last play of the game, folks, if Chris Godwin simply turns around on a Hail Mary thrown by Baker Mayfield, he turns around, the ball's going to fall right into his gut, and the Bucks are going to win that game. Bad situationally. Bad situation in that you gave up a 75-yard drive to a guy in New England who's about to be the third stringer in Matt Jones. Bad situationally and bad situationally in this game. This is, and it's about as, inexcus- as inexcusable as any of them. The Denver Broncos are driving. They get a pass interference. Russell Wilson. It, it's and by the way, this is the most unstoppable play in the NFL. It's like the Kareem Skyhook of the NFL, except in this case, you need the help of the officials. The deep ball. Russell throws a deep ball to Jerry. Judy's under pressure, but under throws it. And what's veteran quarterbacks are very smart with this. When in doubt, you got one on one, underthrow the ball. Have your receiver come back for it. It's going to be almost impossible for the guy to get his head turned around while not while simultaneously not making contact with the guy, and you'll get the PI. You'll get the pass interference. Russell Wilson throws the deep ball to Jerry Judy, and he gets uh, he gets interfered with by, uh, by by Johnson. Denver, this is unbelievable. 29 seconds left. They're at the Bills 17. They're in field goal range. Like they, they have, they've done what they needed to do offensively. Now they just gonna rely on the kicker. Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson takes a knee three times. Buffalo uses the remaining timeouts. This wasn't a heat of the moment. Russell throws a pass. Guys tackled inbounds. bounds. They gotta rush their field. This actually at one point happened during the game, uh, during this game. Throw a pass, caught it in bounds. no timeouts, rush your field goal unit on, get the snap off, go. Get your, and for Buffalo, get your defense off the field, get your field goal block team in. Oh, no, no, no. Denver knelt three times. You should have had your field goal unit set to go, ready to go, and not have the extra guy in the field. Obviously, the kicker for Denver. Uh, Lutz, Will Lutz, misses the kick. But get the benefit of the doubt. Not benefit of the doubt. It, it was a clear. 12 men on the field. It's, it's clear as day. If there's 12 men on the field, it's a flag. 12 men on the field. Get a second crack at it. Get a again, And he cashes in. Denver wins the game. It's an ex- absolutely, positively inexcusable. By Sean McDermott. This Bill's coaching staff. And I know what some of you may say, and I love Bill's Mafia. I love Bill's Mafia. It's my favorite fan base in sports. Well, Bryson, come on. I mean, our number one corner's out, our best linebacker's out. Timeout. There's a team right now residing in Texas that plays in the NFC and is the most talked about team in all of football and in all of sports. They have also lost their number one corner and their number one linebacker. And they're playing as well as any team in football. At some point, we, I don't want to hear the excuses. I don't want to hear what you don't have. What are you able to do with what you do have? Mike Tomlin has a darn near liability at quarterback. Steelers' offense is awful. They're six and three. There are levels to this, and at some point, are you going to become part of the part of the solution, or are you going to stay part of the problem? Coordinators have come and gone in Buffalo. Be it Brian Dable leaving to become the head coach of the Giants, be it Leslie Frazier who just literally just left last season. And be it Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator who replaced Stable, who was fired after the game. Eventually, you go through coordinator after, coordinator after coordinator after coordinator. Who's the common denominator? And I think Sean McDermott's a good coach. I compared him a couple of weeks ago. I said he's the Mark Jackson of the NFL. Where Mark Jackson coached the Warriors. It was a young, up and coming, talented team with these two great shooters and this rough and tough player who we're we'll talking about. I'll talk about later in the show, Draymond Green, who's in the news. Uh, you had this all this talent, and Mark Jackson helped develop that talent, got them to the playoffs, won a playoff series, upset the Denver Nuggets. And there was a ceiling. There was a ceiling. But you got Steve Kerr. He brings this new offense in. The Warriors improved drastically on defense, and they become the dynasty of the league. I'm not saying Buffalo is going to be bad, but can they retire ceilings with, I don't know, Ben Johnson in Detroit? I mean, look what he's done with Jared Goff. And that, it's not a shot at Jared Goff. Josh Allen, though, is infinitely more talented than Goff. Bigger arm, at times more accurate, more mobile. I think the solution is pretty simple in Buffalo. By the way, you don't think that's an attractive job at the Bills? It's been a pretty well run franchise in the last half decade or so, really, since McDermott got there. To his credit. When you're not good at your side of the ball anymore, that's what I say about Brandon Staley. When you're not good at your side of the ball, that's a problem. Buffalo needs a coaching change. They need to probably move Stephon Diggs, who wants to play for a contender. Buffalo's not. They're not a contender. They never were a contender coming into the season. And for the record, uh, the Bills have about as brutal a stretch to end the season as you could possibly ask for or imagine. They play the Jets, Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys, Chargers, Patriots, Dolphins. Now think about this. Jets, Patriots, you're like, ah, Jets, Zach Wilson, uh, New England Patriots. Hey, could be Mac Jones, could be Bailey Zappi, could be could be uh, uh, Will Greer. The quote-unquote, and I say this emphatically in air quotes, easy games for the Bills, Jets, Patriots. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? They lost to both. The easy games are teams they've already lost to. Not saying they can't beat them, obviously, but Buffalo's cooked. They are done. Dunzo, if, listen, I, I am 100, to, or, or to use my man Alfred Parso Jr. here at the grid, he is, we call him Alfred, 99.9% Parser Jr. I'll, I'll, I'll up it by 0.1%. I am 100% confident the Buffalo Bills will not sniff the playoffs. And 7 and 10, not say I'm predicting it, but 7 and 10 is very much in the cards. I predicted 9 and 8 before this season. I might have overrated them. Me, I might have overrated the Bills bad bad days in buffalo and it's not going to get better got a comment here john rivera is that the, i can't see let me let me zoom zoom in here with my screen is that a salute yeah i think that's a salute emoji i appreciate that john john host the fan perspective podcast by the way one 8 o'clock spot last week shout out to john john one of the best of the business one of the great guys in the business as well uh love him but yeah it's, it's not going to it's not getting easier for buffalo and in large part it's not just their schedule I mean, if Kansas City had that kind of schedule, what would we think of them? I mean, there's levels to coaching, levels to quarterbacking, levels to 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 roster makeup. Buffalo is elite at quarterback, but his lows are Zach Wilson lows. Uh, their head coach is good, but has he maybe lost the locker room a little bit? I think that's a legitimate conversation. He's bad situationally. And the roster, I mean, it gave, I, I like Gabe Davis. He's a three. If Gabe Davis is your number two, you probably need to get a new number two. That's not a shot at him, but he's a three. And your number one receiver, for the record, by the way, uh, season low in targets and catches and receiving yards. That's a problem. Big, big problems at Buffalo. They're not going to fix him this season. That's what I do know. With this offseason, they need to have a real come-to-Jesus moment, understand where they are, understand what they're not, move from there, build around Josh Allen, and put him in the best position to be successful. To Denver briefly, then I'll talk about Deshaun Watson. Uh, so, we, we, we got to, and, and, and I, I can be guilty of this as well. In the whole, not just prisoner of the moment, but cultures take time to build. We rave, rightfully so for the record, we rave about Dan Campbell and how great of a culture builder and culture setter he is in Detroit. Detroit was awful in 2021. But they were competitive. They fought hard. They you know, beat some solid teams. remember they beat Minnesota that year. They beat Green Bay last game of the season. Like, Detroit was competitive in some games. Got, they, they went to Pittsburgh, who was a playoff team in 2021, and tied Pittsburgh. Cultures take time to build. The Vikings, who I'll talk about a little later. Uh, Brian Flores, we know what the, the defensive mastermind Brian Flores is, comes in. Minnesota is not that good defensively. They had the Philadelphia towards them. Tampa Bay did with Baker Mayfield. I mean, a lot of teams, they struggled. Kansas City did. And those are good offenses. But you think that with Brian Flores calling the plays, it'd be, it'd be a, in a better spot. It takes time. It takes time to build. And the Vikings are a very, very good defense now. We need to give that same energy and that same sort of outlook to Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos. So they're one and five. They lost to the Jets. I mean, it looked like it was kind of rock bottom, like okay, Russell's better this year than last year, but, I mean, is that really saying much? And all of a sudden, you look at the Broncos. They have established an identity. They're 4-5. and Uh, They've won three straight. Russell, for the record, again, and I've been saying this for the last few weeks about Russell Wilson. Listen, is he Seattle Russ? No. But is he 80% of the old Russ? Well, sure he is. There's no question about it. If you look at his numbers this season, uh, okay, Russell Wilson... He is uh, he's throwing 18 touchdowns, which is top five in the NFL, only four interceptions. So he's playing clean football, passing yards only 1800. It's not going to blow you away. Um, and his passer rating is top 10 in the NFL. Like that's that's gonna that 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 can win you a lot of football games, uh, at the highest level if your quarterback is playing efficient football, playing clean football, playing turnover free football, and not to mention for Denver. And this was this was missing a lot of last season in this three game lose, uh, winning streak. This is what they're doing in terms of running the football. Ran for a buck forty-five against Green Bay, and then the big test: Kansas City, who has a great defense. Ran for a buck fifty-three in Kansas City. Went to Buffalo off a buy with a plan. Sean Payton, smart coach. Ran for a buck twenty-two. They're establishing a run game. Javante Williams. Uh, I, I think it was a big. I, I think we are not talking about how big of a uh, of an emotional and psychological boost it was for Denver a month ago. Judy's going to get traded. Cortland Sutton's going to get traded. Heck, I heard rumors about Patrick Sertan, who's probably the best player on the team, potentially getting traded. They didn't move any of their guys. They stuck with the guys that are there. And Sean Payton has established an identity, a culture, for the record. How about this? Vance Joseph, former, ironically, former head coach of the Broncos, now their defensive coordinator. They give up that 70 burgers to Miami. You're like, wh- wh- where's the defense that we saw last year? D- I mean, I remember reading a stat that if the Broncos scored something like 23 points a game, that uh, they would have been, they would have like won like 10, 11 games last season because of how good their defense was. It's just the problem was their offense was atrocious with Nathaniel Hackett calling plays. Well, now you look at the situation and you're like, hey, well, what the heck? 70 points to Miami, over 700 yards of offense. What is going on with Denver? Since that embarrassing performance, they had a couple stinkers: 28 to Chicago, 31, 31 to the Jets Ugh. in this winning streak. All right, even before the winning streak. Only 19 points given up to Kansas City. Then 17 to Green Bay. Then only nine to Kansas City. And then 22 from Buffalo. This defense is finding its rhythm. It's finding its stride. Its, its, it's healthy. Patrick Sertan's playing well. They're running the football effectively offensively. Russell's playing clean football. Is it on the board the Broncos can make the playoffs? Darn straight it is. If you look at their schedule, Denver, who remember last year, fourth place team, and this this will help them. They got the Vikings on Sunday. It's a little dicey, but then they play Cleveland without Cleveland's starting quarterback. At Houston's a little rough. Chargers, come on, Chargers are awful situationally. At the Lions is tough, but then Patriots, Chargers, Raiders. Sure, they can make the playoffs. I'm not guaranteeing it. I didn't pick them to get in before the season. I had them winning eight games, but I had them being on sort of like the cusp going into that week 16, 17 area being a legitimate contender, legitimate playoff contender, and that's kind of where they're at. It feels like they're going to win about eight, Dare I say nine games now as low as the AFC is, that's even nine games, probably not going to be good enough to get in the playoffs, but good for the Denver Broncos. And uh, they're they're in a good spot right now. They're a good spot. Sean Payton has established a culture and listen, we've got to be myself included far more patient than we are at times in terms of coaches building a culture, whether it not even just head coaches, but defensive coordinators in terms of building schemes, players getting a, a adjusted to it and adapt to, uh, to, to certain schemes. That's what the Broncos are today. Let's see, got a comment here from my man, Devin, from the My Thoughts, My Opinion Sports Podcast. I love Devin. He says, Broncos definitely turned the corner. If they want to keep winning, they can spoil a couple of teams' playoff hopes. No doubt. Again, I have a bond of the Chargers before the season. I had Denver. Uh, well, of course, I had Denver and the Chargers going 8-9, but both would feel very different if they go 8-9. And and if the Chargers, it's man overboard. Fire the coach, fire the OC, fire everybody. Well, they probably won't fire more, which, you know, I, I would love that. But uh, for Denver, though, hey. go from five wins in a disastrous offense to eight in a competitive offense. It's all a matter of perspective. Heck, if Houston, as good as Houston's playing, if they kind of falter a little bit at the end of the second half of the season, win eight games, Houston feels great going into next season. It's all a matter of perspective. What's also a matter of perspective is the Cleveland Browns. So Browns got some unfortunate news this morning. That's putting it mildly that, Deshaun Watson is done for the year. They announced it's day. He had the shoulder injury. I covered it on this show. Many others covered, covered it on their shows. It was this, this weird, nagging shoulder injury where uh he he, he would play played, he threw five passes against the Colts, threw a pick, came out. He'd get cleared to play. I remember that game against the Ravens. He was cleared to play, but then didn't play. It was just an odd situation that the shoulder just kind of lingered until it got reported this morning that Deshaun Watson further re-aggravated the shoulder in on Sunday against the Ravens, which, for the record, actually makes this 14-for-14 14 14 passing second half all the more impressive. And he will have surgery, season-ending surgery. And so uh, he's done for the year. According to Kevin Stefanski, they're, gonna start, they're going to start Dorian Thompson Robinson, the rookie from UCLA, against my Steelers on Sunday. So for Deshaun, listen, his off-field history is well-documented. Uh, we know the legal situation. I'm not going to get into that. And he's obviously made himself a very polarizing figure in the National Football League. But obviously, you don't ever root for, uh, at least at least I don't, uh, injuries to anybody. So I, I do have sympathy in that regard for him. I don't have an ounce of sympathy for the Cleveland Browns. And it's not just because, oh, I hate Cleveland, all that. No, no, no. This is, I'm being dead serious here. I have no sympathy for the Browns. This is an organization that has always been desperate. It's an organization that spends money in the wrong places. It's an organization that drafts quarterbacks that nobody really wants. <clears throat> Johnny Manziel. And they took to a Deshaun Watson. Now, people did want Deshaun Watson. The Falcons wanted him. The, the Dolphins, it's well documented. The Dolphins wanted him multiple times with or without the, the legal situation. But Cleveland was the team that gave up multiple first-round picks and gave him the richest guaranteed contract in the history of the National Football League. Of course they did. Cleveland. What are we, are we surprised by this? Now the good news for the Browns is that it's not like they're getting a massive drop off in play from Deshaun to if it's Dorian Thompson-Robinson the rest of the season, if they decide to go back to P.J. Walker, whatever their quarterback situation is. I heard somebody suggest today, hey, sign Colt McCoy. That's in the cards as well. But listen, the fact of the matter is that the Browns offense is uh, last in the NFL in completion percentage, 25th in pass yards per game, 31st in touchdown-to-interception ratio, which for those of you that are curious what that is, it's an 8-12 to TD-to-interception ratio. That's, that's not good. And last, dead last in the NFL in passer rating. Dead last. And for the record, they're bottom five in the last 25 years among teams above 500. So basically against good teams, they can't throw the football. But for the Cleveland Browns, it's not just the, the fact that they gave up all those picks, which other teams may have done, and then gave Deshaun Watson the richest guaranteed contract ever, which I'm not sure anybody would have done. The owners were reportedly incensed about that. It's a fact that, of course, it was Cleveland who took the guy with the questionable off-field history who got desperate, decided to move on from a guy in Baker Mayfield who, folks, never been a Baker guy. He's playing very well this year, but Cleveland Browns fans, you take a Baker Deshaun? healthy Deshaun, even. I think that's pretty clear. But even this year, which is surprising because the, what, what the Browns did this year, because surprising because they actually did a good job of this a year ago, is the fact that Deshaun comes into this season, full off-season, training camp, Right, he's he's used to the play. He's used to the system. He played the last six games of the season a year ago, ready to go. And the Browns did exactly what the New York Jets did. Jets traded for Aaron Rodgers. Ah, oh, Aaron's here. Here we go. Oh, Ed, we got. We're all good. Hey, our offensive line is not that good. Oh, we'll be fine. Yeah, we'll bring in Nathaniel Hackett, which they went a bridge too far and bring in Hackett. That's another conversation for another show, but. The brought and Rodgers, and they didn't have a backup plan for an injury-prone older player. And you see how it's you know, you reap what you sow, as as, as, as they say, and they're reaping that with Zach Wilson because they didn't get an upgrade at backup quarterback. They did not get a backup plan for Aaron Rodgers. The same can be said about the Cleveland Browns. Although one could argue what they did. Because Deshaun, we know he has an injury history. Tore his ACL at Clemson, tore his ACL in the NFL. Deshaun has an injury history. Deshaun, even, at, you know, go to his days in Houston, part of that's because he played behind a terrible offensive line. Deshaun's taken some shots in his career. The Cleveland Browns, knowing they have a quarterback with an injury history, not only are we sitting here today and they have virtually no backup plan, the backup plan was in the building. And is that not something? Josh Dobbs was a Cleveland Brown in August. Josh Dobbs played the Hall of Fame game and some of the preseason for the Cleveland Browns months ago. They said, no, we're going to go with Dorian Thompson Robinson. Rookie, he may grow to be a nice player. I, I'm not going to sit out here and sit up here and act like he's going to be terrible. I'm not. We're going to go with P.J. Walker. Cool story. XFL player deserves to be in the NFL. Has worked hard. Absolutely has earned the right to be an NFL quarterback. But they never really gave Josh Dobbs a chance. Never gave an opportunity to win the backup job. And they traded him. Basically shipped him off to Arizona. Made the most of what was there. Who shipped him off to Minnesota and the first team that gives Joshua Dobbs a legitimate chance to succeed in the NFL. Oh, what a surprise! He's doing excellent. The Vikings are on a five-game winning streak in two and zero with. Dobbs behind center. It's Cleveland's inability to evaluate the position. In years past, they passed on quarterbacks like Derek Carr, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. This is what they do. It's what they've always done. In the Super Bowl era, name the best Browns quarterback. Who is it, Tim Couch? Come on. Some organizations are incapable of identifying talent at the most important position, and that is Cleveland. It's a poorly run franchise, has been for decades. They got what they deserved. Deshaun, I I feel bad for Deshaun. Whatever the off-field stuff, I, I don't root for guys to get hurt. I feel bad for Deshaun. I have zero sympathy for the Browns. Because in life, if there's an opportunity, a chance, something may or may not go wrong, how do you either adjust on the fly or do you have a backup plan? Both the Browns and the Jets had none. And you see where they're at today. See where Josh Joshua Dobbs is doing in Minnesota. You don't you don't think he could help the Browns win win some games? Again, by the way, I think it's a there's a great chance the Browns get in the playoffs. You just heard me lay out the numbers. They've got bad quarterback play all season to Sean or otherwise, and they're still six and three. Miles Garrett is playing out of his mind. The Browns defense is doing the same. Uh, you know, Jeff Jeff Swartz uh, Jim Swartz calling calling the plays that doing a great job. But if they had above-average quarterback play, eh, dare I say they were a contender. Nick Chubb's there. Amari Cooper's there. They got a good tight end. They got maybe the best offensive line in the sport, not named Philadelphia. But they didn't prepare. Then again, it's Cleveland. They never do. Not surprised. Got a comment here before we get to Bryce's best 10. Uh, 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 Not Darian. uh, uh, Devin says Cleveland need, Cleveland needs a refund on that Watson contract. Well, uh, Devin, they're stuck. They they can't. But again, that's something else too. Only the Browns, of course. The Browns gave this man with the legal stuff, with the injury history, with the fact that. And my man Ryan Flowers pointed this out, and he he ended up being very right about this in the long run. Is that you know Deshaun put up this insane stat line in 2020, his last healthy season in Houston, his last full season really in general, and put up this unbelievable Stalin pass rating was off the charts and was throwing touchdowns all over the place. And Ryan was like, yeah, he was so great. And the Texans were four and twelve. And I was always like, yeah, but that's because they're terrible. And they were. They they were not a good football team. They weren't a well-coached football team. But it's kind of looking like that might have been the case. Browns knew that and still plunged on a guy with many many red flags on and off the field. Love it though. Not for Deshaun, but for Cleveland, I have not an ounce of sympathy for them. If you don't prepare in life, you know what do they say? There's if you if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. Welcome to the Cleveland Browns quarterback experience. That is what they do. By the way, this just came in and then we'll move on to to Draymond Green and carving up the context. Uh, this is from ESPN. So in terms of, we just talked about the, the Deshaun contract. It is, Browns fans, turn your turn your phones off. However you're listening to the show. Browns fans, you might want might to exit stage left. 2024, here's what Deshaun still got left in his deal. In 2024, <laughs> Deshaun Watson has a cap hit, and really 25 and 26 as well, of $63.9 million. Okay? The dead money in 2024 is 2 109 mil. 2025 dead money, 136.9 mil. 2026, 72.9 mil. You reap what you sow, and the Browns are. Let's move on to the NBA. Because, man, (laughs) the story of the league is in the Golden State with involving my Golden State Warriors. So, my man Draymond Green... (laughs) <laughs> found himself <laughs> involved in yet another uh, scuffle, kerfuffle, altercation, whatever word you want to use to describe what happened on on Tuesday night. And it happened, by the way, to be an in season tournament game, so this game had higher stakes than your typical regular season game. By the way, can I just say, and then I'll move on to the to the to the to the incident? I freaking love this in season tournament. I mean, seriously, the 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 intensity by these players is off the charts. The courts, some are great. Like like I thought, the Lakers court last night was great. I think Miami's court is cool. I like Oklahoma City's court. Chicago, eh. my uh, Milwaukee, eh. some of these court. Heck, I even think the Warriors court is kind of mid. To be completely honest with you, but I, I love the play in season tournament. I think Adam Silver hit another home run with this again. But in terms of what happened last night, so Draymond Green. His buddy, Clay Thompson, and for the Minnesota Timberwolves, Jayden McDaniels and Rudy Gobert, revolved in a bit of a scuffle. So let's get into that. And what's the context behind it? It's carving up the context, ladies and gentlemen. Give me my theme music. The Warriors and the Timberwolves played last night and a minute, just a little over a minute and a half in the ballgame. Score 0-0, nothing's happened really. There's a lot of rebounds, stops, and brick shots. That's all was going on in in the Chase Center last night until, and we will play the tape uh, right now, until Anthony Edwards misses a three-point shot. Uh, right here, you're going to see it. The rebound goes to Draymond, outlet to Chris Paul, and you see Klay Thompson, Jaden McDaniels getting into a a, a big-time scuffle. You see multiple players join, guys trying to pull their teammates away. You see Steve Kerr uh, right there, Draymond Green, and Rudy Gobert get into it. There's Klay Thompson being pulled away by Chris Paul, and you'll see the replay right here. Like, Chris Paul, I'm sorry, Klay Thompson and Jaden McDaniels. You'll see the replay here in in just a second. Uh, regarding what happened, what kind of started this whole, what escalated this entire uh, situation? Rudy Gobert is being, being pulled away by a, a Minnesota coach. Uh, Chris Paul pulling Clay Thompson away. So here you go, right here. So the shot misses. Clay kind of shoves McDaniels, who then grabs Clay. They're shoving up the floor. Then there's the, the shove. There's punches thrown between the two of them, or one punch each thrown between the two. McDaniels rips Clay's jersey, and then there's the altercation afterwards. But you'll see here at the end, we'll slow it down for you. Okay. Clay gets shoved. Clay fights back clay is then grabbed by rudy gobert attempted chokehold here comes draymond out of nowhere who puts rudy gobert on the ultimate chokehold and um, a man is like legit like fighting for his life right there he's appears he, he had my man barry grant jr said man he had no extra strategy you have kerr and warriors coach begging draymond green bro let go of rudy gobert and that's what happened it, it was a I don't think, I don't think anybody, uh, any of us saw that coming. There's some rivalries in the NBA, apparently Warriors Timberwolves, although it's not much of a rivalry because we, I mean, we've never faced the playoffs. I I didn't think that there was any previous animosity outside of what was there between Draymond and Rudy, which I will get into. But the context of this is, and we'll we'll play the footage back and forth, but the context of this is, so what starts this entire situation? Well, you got to go back to Sunday. Where my Warriors lost to the Timberwolves 116, uh, 110. Steph Curry actually got hurt in that game. He, he did not play yesterday. He's not going to play tomorrow against Oklahoma City. Minor knee sprain. He should be back uh, pretty soon. But the Warriors lose 116, 110 to the Timberwolves. And there's some Draymond gets into it with Anthony Edwards, and there's some trash talk between the two. But it seems to be much ado about nothing. But, but Minnesota, look, hey. They're sitting here today. They did beat Golden State, by the way, last night. Uh, It was 104 Yeah, 104 to 101 in the in-season tournament game. But Timberwolves are sitting here 8-2. and two. They've beaten Denver, Golden State, Boston. Putting together a pretty impressive resume. Young talent, Anthony Edwards. Carl Anthony Towns played great last night. Dropped 30. Rudy Gobert is right in the midst of the Defensive Player of the Year discussion. Good bench. Good. And Mike Conley, smart point guard. Meanwhile, Golden State. And I, I limited uh, on this uh, Monday uh, is the fact that they can't, they couldn't seem to get a 20 point scorer not named Steph Curry outside of Dario Sarch one game earlier this season. So the Warriors kind of need a win. They've struggled. It's so weird. The Warriors, it's, it's literally the reverse of last year, have been great on the road and thus far awful at home. Awful shooting the basketball, playing defense, the whole bit. But the Warriors going this game, in season tournament game, no Steph. It's going to be scrappy. Kind of need a win. Klay Thompson early in the game. Apparently, there was some 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 talking between him and McDaniel's before the game. Clay kind of grabs McDaniel's. Again, we'll show the play again. You will see it. Uh, he grabs McDaniel's, and uh, then there's shoving. McDaniel's grabs refuses to let go of Clay, and again there are punches thrown. I heard Rick Buecher say this on FS1. Rick Buecher is one of the you know kind of premier sort of insiders in the NBA. And he says this. Listen, I don't watch a lot of the Minnesota Timberwolves basketball on an average Tuesday night unless, obviously, they're playing the Warriors. And He said, Jaden McDaniels has a reputation of being a little bit of a hothead. And Clay, being the smart veteran player, 13 years in the league out of Washington State University, smart veteran player that he is, says, I'm going to bait him. By the way, we've seen people do this with Draymond in the past and it's sometimes worked. Like guys have have tempers or kind of hotheads like you can kind of you can bait them into stuff. That's what Clay did. He said, "I'm I'm going to get in his head. I'm going to give him a little extra shove and he took the bait." He's grabbing Clay, he's shoving Clay, there's punches thrown between McDaniel's and Clay. And anytime there is an altercation of any kind, what is the well there's two cardinal rules. If it, Let's just talk strictly basketball. It's two cardinal rules of any time that there's a fight on the floor. Number one, nobody leave the bench. No, like coaches are like, don't, do not leave the bench. Bench players, you stay there, do not join. The only guys that are supposed to run out on the floor and, and break things up are our coaches or maybe some security guards trying to break guys up. Like that's that's the only people who need to rush on the floor and, and de-escalate the whole situation. As far as the guy, number two, the second cardinal rule, as far as the guys who are on the floor, their job is—I mean, they can sit idly by. It's not a great look for them, and the team. So they want to—they want to help in some way. How do you do that? Get your guy out of the situation. Pull, get your guy away. Pull, like he's already going to get in trouble. He's probably going to get thrown out of the game to begin with. Don't don't put him in a situation where he can, uh, you know, get suspended or where you could get suspended. Get your guy out of the situation. Chris Paul. We can play this one more time and then I'll show the slow-mo of what I really want to discuss. Okay. So again, there's Clay McDaniel shoving each other up the floor. But watch Chris Paul. You'll see close-up here. Chris Paul's gonna grab Clay Thompson. Like, Clay, torn Jersey, get out of there, buddy. Get out of there. Okay. You see, Chris is grabbing Clay, like, dude, nope. Let's, let's get out of this situation. Let's de-escalate this. Okay. And Chris even said after the game, like, man, I've been in here the league 19 years. I've seen a lot of these, even with the Warriors. Like, get out of here. You're gonna see them right here. Okay, there's Draymond. Think Rudy Gobert's gonna come into the frame in just a second. But watch Chris Paul. There he is. He's kind of joking with Clay, like, hey, come on, buddy. Like, get out of this here. And he's he's like, let's just let's, let's cut this out right now. Chris Paul, which is kind of funny given his history at times, Chris Paul de-escalates the situation with Clay. Rudy Gobert, who I heard the, I've read the referees said tried to be a Peacemaker, he's a just a nice little angel sitting there. Oh, let's calm things down, gentlemen. Oh, far from it. Let's play the slow mo clip right here. Watch what Rudy Gobert does to Clay Thompson. Okay, so you see the shoving McDaniels, Clay. Here comes Rudy Gobert. Okay, there he is. Watch him grab Clay, put him in a chokehold, and then here comes Draymond defending his teammate. Gobert did not try and pull McDaniels away. We can play this again. I think it was Conley, Mike Conley, smart veteran point guard who pulls McDaniels away. Here it is. One more time. Mike Conley to the right, Gobert to the left. Conley, hey, Jaden, get out of here. Conley, or, uh, Gobert, hey, Clay, you want to pick a fight? Which is funny. You know, Rudy Gobert's seven feet, two inches tall. Clay Thompson is six seven. Yeah, it's, it's funny. He's about a, probably a 40-pound difference, if not more. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. You could pick a fight with a dude who's smaller than you. Rudy Gobert is that dude on the block, that kid on the block who's big and bad and tough. Until the bigger, batter, tougher kick comes in on the block. And, you know, then he doesn't want to fight as much, you know? This is the bully who can be bullied by a bigger bully? That is Rudy Gobert. Now, for Draymond Green, did he deserve to be ejected? 1,000%. No question about it. You will not get an argument out of me there. He 1,000% deserved to be ejected. For the record, should probably get about a three to four game suspension. I heard somebody today suggest 10. 10 is excessive. He does not deserve a 10-game suspension. Three to four games, he didn't choke hold a guy for a while and really wouldn't let go. That was where Draymond was at fault. But at the end of the day, who chokeholded, or at least attempted to choke hold first? Gobert, we'll play it one more time. Gobert is about to grab clay. Here comes Gobert, left side. Instead of trying to de-escalate, he escalates it, grabs clay. Boom, right there. Grabs clay, and Draymond's like... <laughs> Heck no! You are not grabbing Clay Thompson. Listen, it, you know in the Warriors organization, you mess with Clay, you mess with the team. Like Clay is like the chillest dude in the world. You don't you, you don't like pick fights with him, or otherwise you're gonna get the the wrath of the entire franchise, so to speak. And that was Draymond taking up for his guy. And of course, is there history between Rudy? And Draymond, yeah, it's been going on for about 5 years. In 2019, Draymond Green made fun of Rudy Gobert because Rudy didn't make the All-Star game and was literally crying to the media. Draymond said, "Hey, I guess I'm since I didn't make the All-Star game, I should be crying too, huh?" So there's some beef there. When the Draymond Jordan Poole incident happened last year, TMZ leaked the footage, Draymond punched Jordan Poole in practice. Uh Rudy Gobert, uh, well, let me pull up the tweet here because it was, it was it was comical, especially when you consider how how Draymond Green responded. Uh, Ignorance is loud. Ignorance is loud. Very interesting. And when Rudy Gobert, when Rudy Gobert got into an altercation, I'm sorry, insecurity, insecurity is always loud. That is what Rudy Gobert tweeted after the Draymond Green-Jordan Poole incident. Well, as it turned out, six months later, Rudy Gobert got into an altercation with his teammate. And tried to punch him. And Draymond Green responded, insecurity is always loud. So there's no love lost between Rudy and Draymond. They they do not. That's a legitimate beat. This is not an on the court, and then afterwards, ah, they're buddy. But no, no, no. These two guys do not like each other, and they make no mistakes about it. Rudy Gobert, I think this is, this was funny. This was funny. Okay, He was talking about what Steve Kerr said because Steve Kerr essentially after the game said, hey, Clay shouldn't have been ejected, which he probably shouldn't have been. Draymond came in, defended his teammate. Okay, that's what Steve Kerr said. Rudy Gobert, and this is hilarious to me, said to The Athletic about what Steve Kerr said about Draymond, and I quote, he's backing his guy, but I think he knows. Deep inside, he doesn't want to say it, but his guy is a clown, referring, of course, to Draymond Green. That's really funny because I can almost remember. What, what was that? That thing it was like three and a half years ago. H- help me out, audience. H- help me out. It's three and a half years ago. Let's see. And it like shut down like sport. Shut down the world, really. What was, I'm um, like, what was it? Co-, co COVID. Yeah, that's what that, COVID. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that well. Who could forget it? Heck, I, I, mean, I, I know people getting COVID. This pesky thing won't go away. But uh, remember when COVID first started March 2020, it was just like, oh, my God, what is this thing? Rudy Gobert. he He's the one calling Draymond a clown. That's hilarious because – or calling Draymond a clown. Rudy Gobert finishes a press conference with the Jazz. He used to – when he played for the Jazz, finished press conference with the Jazz media, and we saw that video. Remember that? touching the mics, touching everything around and making fun of it and and fake coughing. <clears throat> Days later, Rudy Gobert went down in NBA history, heck, went down in freaking pandemic history as the first NBA player to test positive for COVID. Who's the clown? That's what I'm trying to figure out. It's the same guy that wants to bully around Klay Thompson who is much smaller than him. But once Draymond, who's also much smaller than Rudy, but Draymond's from Saginaw, Michigan. Draymond will not back down from a fight. Draymond's like that. Rudy is not. You saw that yesterday. So the context. Is Clay to blame? Yeah, Clay started it. Did it get escalated by, though, by Jaden McDaniels? No question. No, what, he wouldn't let go of Clay's arm. What do you expect the man to do? Yeah, somebody grab my arm. Get off my arm. Let me go. And as for Draymond. He sees a big seven footer uh, 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 headlocking his teammate. The heck you expect a guy like Draymond Green to do? He's the enforcer for the Warriors. He is that's part of the reason he's so valuable to Golden State. Why he's so beloved in Golden State. The context is while Clay and Draymond, particularly Draymond, deserves a big chunk of the blame. Jada McDaniel's and especially Rudy Gobert are no innocent bystanders. So the context. Rudy, you the clown. Jaden, chill, brother. You're a hothead. Same thing can be said about about Draymond with Clay Thompson. This probably wouldn't have happened. I love you, Clay. This probably would happen if you shoved he hadn't shoved the guy. Probably wouldn't have happened. There we go. Carving up the context. War some of the warriors players are guilty. But so are the Timberwolves as well. I'm just telling you. That's what we got. So, again, I, I, I get, I get the outrage from the situation. I do, and feel free, folks, to chime in the comment section. I like to hear what y'all y'all think about it and y'all y'all, y'all think about the situation. But uh, yeah, I saw it. I'm, I'm I'm like, okay, so so, yes, I think. And here's the thing: I think Draymond should get a suspension. I think Draymond is almost assuredly going to get a suspension, three four games, bare minimum. Can we give Rudy two to three? Bare minimum, because the thing is, Draymond obviously held Rudy. Way longer than he should have. That as it drag out, and, and, and again, Draymond. I'll show the video one more time. One more time, and once it escalates, and here comes Rudy. Uh, when Draymond watch, when Draymond headlocks uh, Rudy, puts him in a headlock. Watch him. So he's got you know he's grabbing Rudy, he's pulling him away. It gets to a point where Draymond is like strangling the guy and is talking to him, talking mess to him. I mean, it's wild. Hold on, here it is. Yeah, he there he is. He's talking. He's talking to Rudy like I mean, God only knows what he's was saying right there. Um, so yeah, Draymond should get the longer suspension, longest suspension. But Rudy should be suspended, and I think Clay and McDaniel McDaniel probably deserves a, a fine. I, I don't think Clay or McDaniel should be suspended. Uh, it's what they did. Yes, did they start it? Sure, but it shouldn't have gone beyond that because Rudy interjected, and then Draymond went a step further. Didn't see that coming. Oh, last thing, I promise. Last thing, that we'll move on to Bryson's best Tim because I'm excited about that. Uh, this is, when it comes to Draymond Green, this is what drives me crazy about the coverage of him is that we, so or not we, I don't do it. I respect the players of of, of years past. No question about that. But previous generations romanticize The 80s, rough and tumble, physical. Same with the 90s. I mean, folks, the scores in some of those finals in the late 90s, I mean, teams barely broke 70. It was not good basketball. Bad shooting. The defense, folks, it wasn't defense. That was hard foul. That wasn't basketball. Not saying saying today that that there should be as much of an emphasis on calling fouls. There should be because that's what drives me crazy. But there should be a healthy medium between now and between them. But the same people that romanticize. Charles Oakley. Oh, Charles. You didn't mess with Charles Oakley. He was hard-nosed and he was the enforcer for the New York Knicks. And the same people who romanticize the bad boy Pistons, Bill Laimbeer and Dennis Rodman and these rough riders, they hate Draymond Green. I hear complaints Oh, the NBA's two buddy-buddy. No, Draymond Green, Rudy Gobert hate each other's guts. <laughs> is, that, is that good enough? I don't know. I find the coverage... You don't have to like Draymond Green. Yeah, I get why. Unless I'm a Warriors fan, so of course I love Draymond. But I get why some others wouldn't. You know, he's not he's not for everybody. But at the same time, at least be honest about the the sort of enforcers of years past. That's all I'm saying. If you don't like Draymond, then you can't like Lambeer. You can't like Oakley. You can't like Meadow World Peace. Let's be honest. Steven Jackson love stacks. Love stacks be consistent that's all I'm asking that's all I'm asking all right so away from the NBA a lot of going on in the NBA last night Clippers dropped <laughs> Clippers dropped to 0 and5 uh with James Harden love it love every bit of it it's been just a disaster I thought it'd be uh so I'm you're not getting you're not getting any surprise in my voice no doubt about that they're a disaster bad defensively uh it's a disaster okay it's it and can I say this too I keep getting off track. I'm so sorry. But then I'll, I promise I'll get to Bryson's best 10, literally after this. Has James Harden in the last three years become, and I've alluded to this before, but I just want to reiterate it, the least self-aware athlete ever? I mean, it is never his fault. Now, any Anything that goes wrong, it's Dwight Howard's fault, it's Mike D'Antoni's fault. It's Russell Westbrook's fault. It's Kevin Durant's fault. It's Kyrie Irving's fault. Steve Nash's fault. It's Doc Rivers' fault. It's Joel Embiid's uh, Embiid's fault. It's Daryl Morey's fault. Bro, take some accountability. Come on, man. Clippers gave up all their wing depth. Gave up whatever draft capital they had for the next half decade. And they're stuck. But, kind of like the Cleveland Browns, they made their bed. They got a lie in it, and I have zero sympathy because they dug this hole for themselves. I do love it. All right, so a lot goes on in the NFL, and it was a very eventful week 10. We had five games, folks, five games in on walk-off field goals, including the very last game of the weekend between the Broncos and the Bills. Great, great weekend of football. And, And by the way, a weekend that coming off of week nine where it's Bills and Bengals and Dallas and Philadelphia and Chiefs, Dolphins. We had some big games in in, in Week 9. Week 10, we were like, eh, solid games. You know, there's, there's some interesting ones in here, but nothing. 49ers, Jaguars was like supposed to be the game of the weekend, and it was a snoozer. San Francisco demolished Jacksonville 34-3. But it ended up being a pretty fun weekend of football. Well, this weekend is going to be as well. We got some great ones. Again, I'll predict Ravens and Bengals after I get done with Bryce's best 10. Steelers-Browns is a big game. You got, uh, what else we got? Chargers-Packers is low-key, kind of interesting. Jets-Bills, I definitely want to watch that one. Seahawks-Rams, Vikings-Broncos the Sunday nighter, and then it caps off with maybe the game of the year between the Chiefs and the Eagles, a rematch of last year's Super Bowl. But uh, who are the best te- 10 teams in the NFL? Who's the best, best 10, Bryson's best 10 teams in the NFL going into week 11? Well, you came to the right place because I'll tell you, and you will not get a better list anywhere. USA Today or any other list from any other expert. With all due respect to them, you will not get a better list. Top ten teams in the NFL going into Week Eleven. Bryson's best ten. Here we go. We will start. We will start with number ten, the tenth best team in the NFL. I promise I'm not being biased. It's my Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers, back in Bryce's best 10, they are in the top 10, they are somehow 6-3, but Pittsburgh at number 10, and here's why. So look, is the offense for Pittsburgh nothing short of atrocious? There is no question about that. Kenny Pickett is bottom 10 in the NFL in virtually every stat. Touchdown-interception ratio, touchdown passes, uh, QBR, uh, passer rating, the Steelers' offense is has, has gotten out-gained all nine games of this season that's never been done in NFL history for a team that has a winning record but if there's one thing about the Pittsburgh Steelers if we play it close if we take it down to the wire we take it to the fourth quarter we close you out the Steelers all six of their wins are in one score games they are six and oh in total in one score game so as much as I criticize the Steelers' defense for, for giving up, uh, again, the Steelers' defense, by the way, bottom 10 in passing yards allowed and, and bottom bottom half of the league in rushing yards allowed, they're not good in either of those categories despite the front seven that they have, albeit some injuries to linebackers. But when you get down the red zone, you don't cash in or, the, or you, they take the ball away from you. Pittsburgh leading the NFL in takeaways this season tied with the Jacksonville Jaguars. But if you look at what they've done. Good in the fourth quarter, 6-0, and as much as they bash Tomlin for refusing to adjust to a more modern offensive philosophy, they're great situationally, and that, that matters in the NFL. They're really the anti-Ravens. Where well, the Ravens are loaded, not to say Pittsburgh doesn't have a good roster, because we have a great roster, but Baltimore has a phenomenal roster and cannot close you out to save their lives in the fourth quarter. Pittsburgh, it's just keep it close, and they'll win the game. It's as simple as that. It's is there a hard ceiling? Is there a hard ceiling that they can go playing the brand of football? No doubt about it, and I fully acknowledge that as a Steelers fan. But today, it is sustainable. They are the tenth best team in the National Football League at number nine, the ninth best team in the NFL. Is a team that actually beat Pittsburgh a couple weeks, a few weeks back. It is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville dropping multiple sp- uh, spots, dropping two spots uh, from last week's Bryce's best ten. Jaguars ninth best team in the league. And here's why. So, look, they get, if it wasn't the fact that they lost to a team that I believe had the best roster in football in the 49ers, they would have fallen completely out of Bryce's best 10. Trevor Lawrence was nothing short of awful. Multiple turnovers. He was at, he's at, and I love Trevor, love Trevor, but he's had a bad fumble problem this year. He only has nine touchdown passes in nine games. That's a problem. Jacksonville needs to get their passing game more in order. Some of that is the fact that their offensive line is second to last, second to last in pass, uh, uh, and a pass block win rate, but Travis Etienne is still a very good player at running back. This Jaguars defense is still top top in the NFL, tied with the Pittsburgh Steelers in terms of takeaways, 18 takeaways on the season. They weren't able to do that against San Francisco and Brock Purdy, but listen, this is a get-right game. They got Tennessee coming into town. Big matchup, Titans and Jaguars. Will Levis is known to turn the football over on occasion if you go back to his days at Kentucky. So this is a, it's an opportunistic defense playing a bad offensive line. Maybe that can, if the offense is set up in short fields, kind of get them going. I still love Jacksonville's upside at head coach, quarterback, and offensive uh, ceiling in general. But had they not lost to the 49ers, and I mean, like, had they, had they lost 34-3 to to the, um, I don't know, throw a team out here. The Cleveland Browns, they'd be out of Bryce's best 10. That's not a shot at Cleveland. That's just the reality of where they're at. The Jaguars today, the ninth best team in the NFL, and they're lucky I didn't put them lower. At number eight, back of Bryce's best 10, second straight week this season, Vikings stand up. The Minnesota Vikings are the eighth best team in the National Football League and only getting better, and here is why. So Minnesota, and I talked about this earlier in the show when I was comparing them sort of to the Buffalo Bills in terms of, I'm sorry, to the Denver Broncos in terms of, hey, it takes Vance Joseph time to get that defensive scheme kind of lined up. The same thing with Sean Payton in the running game in Denver. The same can be said about Brian Flores. This Vikings defense looked identical through the first five games to the one last year that was worst or second worst in the league in past defense in and, and in terms of points given up per game, they really struggled in that regard and struggled to start the season. But Brian Flores, very smart coach, defensive mastermind, was able to get it right. If you look at what Minnesota has done uh, defensively, they're fourth in rushing yards uh, per play given ups. So they're great against the run and only seventh in their top seven in the NFL at number seven in, uh, in yards given up per play. So they don't, listen, every yard comes at a price, comes at a cost against this Vikings defense. Also offensively, they are. They've won five straight games, longest winning streak in the league. They are five and zero oh without Justin Jefferson. We remember Justin Jefferson went down in that game against Kansas City. They dropped to one and four. We're like, up. Uh, yeah, Minnesota needs to go and trade Kirk, kind of, kind of mailing him for the year. Get a high draft pick, take a quarterback, and all of a sudden. Justin Jefferson looks like he's coming back this week. Jordan Addison, rookie receiver out of USC, has really found himself as as a, maybe a potential number one in the league if he wasn't with with uh, with Justin Jefferson. TJ Hawkinson, top, t- top 10 tight end in the NFL. And Robert Joshua Dobbs. With another three touchdown performance, another big time uh, a running play, rushing uh, touchdown uh, in this game against an excellent defense in New Orleans. After doing it against another excellent defense the week prior against the Atlanta Falcons, so Joshua Dobbs not turning the football very uh, not turning the football over very efficient. Using his arm, using his legs, and he just so happens to be getting one of the two or three best receivers in the sport back next week. And guess what? If he didn't know the playbook two weeks ago, he certainly knew it better last week, and he darn sure knows it better this week, not to mention they're well-coached with Kevin O'Connell. The Vikings are the eighth-best team in the National Football League. At number seven, they drop a couple of spots from a week ago. It is the Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati doesn't drop too much, but they drop a couple of spots to the seventh-best team in football, and here is why. So... But they lose, they lose to Houston. Fact of the matter is, if Tyler Boyd catches that touchdown with a minute and a half to go, they probably will win that game, not, not, to, not to doubt what the great C.J. Stroud is doing. C.J. Stroud's my MVP frontrunner right now. But when you look at what Houston did in terms of defensively, they kind of struggled in the fourth quarter. Uh, Cincinnati's defensive line is really struggling to stay healthy but their secondary has been good this season. By the way, offensively for the Bengals since week five, which is really when they kind of turned their season around, right? They were one and three. Burrow wasn't healthy, but since they've won four of their last five games, uh, Joe Burrow is leading the NFL in completion percentage. We know he's always been one of, if not the most accurate quarterback in the national football league. And I'm hearing people still say today, despite the fact the Bengals are last place in division, that Joe Burrow is in the MVP discussion. I don't totally discount that given how he's played over the last month. Jamar Chase, Uh, Now they're going to miss T Higgins. It looks like tomorrow night, I'm going to predict that game uh, when they play the Ravens uh, on Thursday night football. So that's going to be a big loss and they're struggling to stay healthy on the defensive side. uh, So that's why I dropped him a few spots. But look again, Tyler Boyd catches a touchdown. If Joe Burrow doesn't throw two uncharacteristic picks, Bengals probably win that game against a red hot Houston team. The the Bengals are the 7th best team in the National Football League. At number 6, they just so happen to stay exactly uh, where they are in the rankings. It is the Detroit Lions. Detroit, the 6th best team in the NFL, and here is why. So they go on the road, and it wasn't really a road game because no, no game is a road game when you're playing the Chargers. But they go on the road to LA, get a big time W. Uh, Jared Goff played unbelievable. The the Lions ran for over 200 yards in that game against the Chargers. Again, we know LA has a terrible defense, led by, you know, obviously coached by Brandon Staley, uh, despite the fact they've spent the second most amount of money in free agency on defense. But if you look at Detroit, They've run the football effectively. David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs just getting more and more involved with that offensive lineup. We know what he did at Alabama, His what he's what he's capable of doing. He's the second coming, in my view, of Alvin Kamara. Jared Goff playing unbelievable football right now. I would have him. If I had to vote for MVP, he would be number three for me in terms of what he's doing. Uh, he's, he's playing smart football. And Dan freaking Campbell has as, as big of guts as any coach in the NFL the fourth down conversions. I mean, again, remember back in week one, the fake punt first quarter at Arrowhead with the place going crazy. This guy believes in his team. The team believes in him. Kneecaps were bitten. And the Detroit Lions are the sixth best team in the NFL. And I still maintain we will play in the NFC title game. At number five, do we have number five up here? At number five, it is the Baltimore Ravens. My number one team, ladies and gentlemen, for dropping four, my number one team the last two weeks, dropping a whole four spots. Is that bias from a Steelers fan? No, it is not. Ravens are the fifth best team in the NFL, and here's why. So look, fact of the matter is, they're number one in the NFL in scoring defense, and number one in the NFL in rushing offense. Again, in terms of the roster makeup, in terms of the coach, in terms of the quarterback, weapons, defense... Kicker, obviously, might be the greatest ever. Justin Tucker, I I have no issues whatsoever. None. They're bad in the fourth quarter, folks. Ten. Ten blown double-digit leads. Since 2020, that is a problem, and it has been for a while. I still think Harbaugh is a tremendous coach. I still think Lamar is a tremendous quarterback, and this roster is top three in the NFL. But they've got to find a way to finish these games, particularly against a division rival in a game that, if you win, man, you've got a you've got a strong Draymond Green level chokehold on that division and potentially on the one seat as well. You're in the battle with Kansas City in that regard. But tough loss for Ravens. Good good news for them is the fact that hey, they're sitting there. They are they're, they're seven and three. If they beat Cincinnati. All's well and right in, the, in, in Ravens' world, but they lose that game. Cincinnati, I'm oh, sorry, to Cleveland. They struggle badly to close games out in the fourth quarter. That said, I think Lamar bounces back. Harbaugh, the defense bounces back again. They're still number one in the NFL in scoring defense, despite a rough game against the Cleveland Browns. The Ravens are the fifth best team in the National Football League. At number four, it is the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas drops a spot from last week. That's because somebody jumped them. Uh, But listen, Dallas, uh, again, fourth best team in the NFL. Here's why. So uh, Dak Prescott has been playing not only the best football of his career, but probably better than any quarterback in football over the last month over his last 4 games folks since week 6 that game he played very well against the Chargers Dak Prescott 1300 passing yards 14 total touchdowns he's completing 72% of his passes and has a 124 rating so Dak's playing efficient football by the way only two turnovers in that stretch uh, so he's playing efficient football clean football spreading uh, sp- spreading the rock all around the field particularly to C.D. Lamb, who is strongly every single week making a case that he very well might be the best receiver in football. I'm dead serious when I say that because since week six, C.D. Lamb, and this is a four-game stretch. He had a bye week in week seven. CeeDee Lamb has 41 catches, 617 receiving yards, four total touchdowns, and 22 catches, which leads the NFL, of over 15 yards or or more. Uh, So CeeDee Lamb has been incredible. Dak Prescott has been equally as good. Uh, This Cowboys offense is really finding its rhythm. The only weakness, really, in the Cowboys offense is they really can't develop much of a run game with Tony Pollard. Uh, Some have argued they should have traded for Derrick Henry at the deadline. I understand that, but I still would have decided to go with uh, with Tony, but hopefully he has fresh legs by the postseason. He's able to kind of bounce back from tearing his ACL a year ago. But this Cowboys defense, Micah Parsons, we know what he represents. Uh, Step on Gilmore. By the way, Deron Bland. How about this, folks? Deron Bland by Pro Football Focus, the number two ranked corner in the NFL this season he leads the NFL in interceptions since he came into the league leads the NFL pick sixes since he came into the league so this Dallas defense has a lot of upside this Cowboys offense is as good as there is in the NFL and Dak is playing as well as as you could possibly ask him to play but even relative to the best quarterbacks in the league the same can be said about CeeDee Lamb amongst his wide receiver contemporaries Dallas the fourth best team in the National Football League at number three taking a big jump from where they were at last week at number eight, it is the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners are the third best team in the National Football League, and here's why. So that was as big of a statement as we've seen all season long in the NFL. You go to Jacksonville, go to Jacksonville, right? A team that has the longest winning streak in the league on the road for the record, Niners, West Coast teams. That's essentially a 10 a.m. kickoff their time on the West Coast, having to come all the way from the Bay Area to Jacksonville, Florida, and you couldn't tell a difference. That might as well have been a peewee team taking on the, the 07 Patriots. And that's what it looked like offensively and defensively for San Francisco. Brock Purdy still leading the NFL in passer rating. Hell, 149 rating last week against the Jaguars, which is insane. Christian McCaffrey, you know, let's, let's, let's have a funeral because his touchdown streak, his insane touchdown streak, double-digit games plus came to an end on Sunday. But Debo Samuel, Trent Williams having them back in the lineup paid massive dividends. Chase Young, you see, you're already seeing they trade from, for him from the Washington Commanders. He got a sack on Trevor Lawrence on Sunday. By the way, and this is the thing about San Francisco. I said to the Mike Tyson in the NFL, if they're trailing going into the fourth quarter, uh, it's a little dicey, especially if you look at the numbers. But, If they've got you down, they will not give you air. They will not give it. It's like Draymond Green, Rudy Gobert. They will not give you a chance to breathe, okay? San Francisco, in their wins, and their six wins this season, they're averaging 33 points per game and giving up 12. They're winning these games basically by, in their wins, they're winning by three touchdowns a game. Uh, This is the best roster in football. Brock Purdy, people got on him. The three-game losing streak, for the record, won arguably two of those games. He was concussed. Uh, Kyle Shanahan is one of the smartest coaches in the National Football League. The Ravens, I'm sorry, the, the, the 49ers roster is outstanding. San Francisco, the third best team in the National Football League. And is this not perfect? Okay, number one and number two. We'll be facing off on Monday night in Arrowhead Stadium. The home team is my number two team, the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are the second best team in the NFL, and here is why. So, listen, we talk about smart coaches coming off of bye weeks. Just talked about Kyle Shanahan. And for the record, I think Mike McDaniel is going to do the same with with the Dolphins uh, this week as well. But if you look at Andy Reid off of bye's. He's been really good. I mean, last year, uh, one off a bye week, like this, this guy is great. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, he's still firmly in the MVP discussion. Uh, more than double digit touchdown passes. And again, the fact of the matter is, Kansas City's defense is one of, if not the best, National Football League. Don't well, just look at the numbers. They're second against the pass and second in scoring defense. And by the way, offensively, we're panicking. Oh, Mahomes doesn't have the weapons outside of Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Well. They're still, despite that, seventh in the league in total offense. They run the football effectively with Pacheco. The offensive line certainly did, looks, looked like this against Miami. Maybe it's finding its way a little bit. They're going to have a massive test against Philadelphia on Monday night. They're going to have to protect, obviously, Mahomes against the likes of uh, of, of Montez Sweat and, and, and Hassan Reddick, Fletcher Cox. It's going to be a tough test, but they're up for the challenge. Patrick Mahomes, you are, you can never, ever count this guy at the MVP discussion because what he can give you any given Sunday or, in this case, this week, Monday at home against the Philadelphia Eagles, and look, playing well, and uh, maybe there might be a little bit of karma from the Philadelphia Eagles coming home to me. There you go, Swifties. All right, the number one team in the NFL, I think you probably guessed it by this point, as much as it makes me sick to say it, it is the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are the best team today in the NFL. Believe it or not, folks, it's the first time they've been number one all season long, Eagles' best team in the NFL, and here is why. So, look, (laughs) the biggest deficiency... They're bad against the pass. I want to reiterate, the guy who is in New England and is about to be a third-string quarterback, dead serious, look at the reports, He's, Mac Jones going to be a third-string quarterback by the Patriots next game against the Giants. He threw for 300 yards against this defense. Dak Prescott torched them, Sam Howell torched them. This is the problem for Philadelphia, but offensively, oh, they're great. Second best points per game, second best yards per game, and seventh in the NFL in both pass yards per game. And rush yards per game. So this is undeniably one of, if not the best offense in the NFL. Jalen Hurts is, is struggling with the turnovers. Eagles have lost the turnover battle and I think, four of the last five games. But Jalen is firmly in the MVP discussion. Is Has improved drastically uh, from a from a pocket-passing standpoint. Every single year he's been in the league, and you see it this season. And the good news for Philadelphia, and this is huge, how many times have I and others lamented the fact that, man, Jalen does not look right physically. He, de- he doesn't look healthy the vibe have not come at a better time for Philadelphia, especially given the defense they're about to face in Kansas City. As much as it hurts me to say, they're not great defensively, at least in the secondary. Pass rush is excellent, by the way. Offensive line's awesome. Weapons, quarterback, they're great. Well coached. The Eagles, I hate to say this. The Philadelphia Eagles are the best team in the NFL. There you go. You happy, Philly? you happy. I don't like it, man. I don't like it, but I gotta tell you, like I it's got caught, like I see it. I do. My man Patrick Brown's in the comments talking about the last segment. Uh, Patrick, by the way, he writes multiple pieces. Has written multiple pieces for the Grids website. Please check his stuff out. He says, "If anyone messes with Clay, if so, Dre will make them pay." I like what you did there with the rhyme scheme, there, Patrick. That was, uh, was great. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I said during um during that segment during carving up the context is that. If you, if guys mess with Steph or Clay, like those guys are people getting case with Draymond. Like that's, it's his brand. It, it's, it's part of the, the business of being Draymond Green. Uh, and some of it he invites. Like that's, that's just part of it. You mess with Steph. Steph don't try to start anybody, anything with anybody. Neither does Clay. You mess with those two, you mess with the Splash Brothers, <laughs> you have a hell to pay from Mr. Draymond Green. Okay. And Rudy Gobert had to learn that the hard way. He did. Now, Draymond went over the edge. He did. He he, he he grabbed him for too long. He grabbed him for too long. But Rudy tried to grab Clay in the same form and fashion. Draymond said, I'm ah, not having this. Not having this. Not at all. All right. Before we get out of here, and I mentioned we have some fantastic Week 11 NFL games. Well, let me just go over some of them, okay? Steelers-Browns, which Deshaun's out for that game. Cleveland went from like a, a two-and-a-half-point favorite to a one-point favorite. Uh, so I, I'm obviously leaning my Steelers to win that game. Uh, what else do we have? We've got the Raiders Dolphins is a, is a sneaky interesting game. So Miami's coming off of a bye. They lost to Kansas City. They can't beat the big dogs. The Raiders interim head coach defense is playing really well. Like, I don't, that's an interesting game in Miami. Uh, Dolphins are 13 half point favorites. Chargers Packers is a fascinating one. You've got Jets-Bills. That one, the Jets-Bills, by the time I get to Friday's predictions, that might be the Bryson's bleak that game. I have no idea who's going to win that. No idea. Uh, What else? Vikings-Broncos is a great Sunday night game. Both teams are playing well. Both quarterbacks are playing well. Both coaches are doing a great job. Uh, That'll be a fun one. And then, obviously, Eagles-Chiefs to cap off the weekend. It seems like the NFL has a tendency to give, to put one of the better games of the season the Monday before Thanksgiving. I mean, five years ago. I mean, how could we forget? Rams, Chiefs, greatest Monday night game in history where the Chief, the Rams beat the Chiefs 54 uh, 51. That was in the midst of Mahomes' first MVP season. And Jared Goff outdueled Patrick and played incredible. That game is supposed to be in Mexico, but I think due to some field conditions, they decided to play it in Los Angeles. And that was after the tragedy with the fires in Southern California. Like it was all the storylines, the great quarterback play, the great coaching, McVeigh and Andy Reid. That was fun. That was a fun game. And we can only hope eagles chiefs comes comes anywhere anywhere near that uh, real quick too because i said steelers browns and it reminded me of something <laughs> this doesn't make sense it i folks i'm a steelers fan i watch every snap of every game and i can't explain it to you i this it, i don't know how this is possible a game I'm about to, i'm about to predict bengal's ravens if the bengal's beat the ravens And then on Monday Night Football, the Eagles beat the Chiefs. If Pittsburgh beats Cleveland, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children and adults of all ages. (laughs) Going into Thanksgiving weekend, we're pretty deep into the season now. The Steelers would be the number one seed in the American Football Conference, also known as the AFC. I can't explain that. I th- There's no stat to... Uh, uh, and, and it's... Listen, Pittsburgh, of course, has a chance to beat Cleveland. The Bengals have a chance to beat the, the, the Ravens. And the Eagles... Again, I have the one spot above Kansas City on Bryce's best 10. They very much have a shot to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. If all three of those things occur, Pittsburgh's the one seed. With no offense. <laughs> it's like they're winning games playing 2005 football and it's, I don't get it. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get how it's possible, but I guess all things are possible with Mike Tomlin. But again, does this, does this style of football have a hard ceiling? Will I have us, if we get the one seed, do I have us going to the Super Bowl? Heck no. But it's, it's possible to get the, not to win the Super Bowl for the Steelers team, but it's possible to get the one seed. Unbelievable. Okay. Again, we've got a massive game. I, j- I just mentioned it in the AFC North. Uh, we've got the Baltimore Ravens hosting the Cincinnati Bengals on Thursday Night Football on Amazon. Finally, Amazon. God bless you, Al Michaels. God bless you, Kirk Herbstreit. You finally get a, a watchable game. W- listen, it's kind of like if you—it's kind of like the, when you work hard for something and you finally you, you reap the rewards of it. That's what it feels like, and I guarantee it for those two. Where last week it's, oh my lord, we have to watch Panthers and Bears on primetime standalone national television. W- why? Well, because the reward, maybe the NFL did this intentionally, but the reward is, hey, you're going to get the Bengals with Joe Burrow and that offense and the Ravens with Lamar Jackson and all those weapons and that defense. It couldn't line up any better. So, Bengals, Ravens, bigot. Big AFC North matchup. Has massive playoff implications already here in week 11. The Ravens at home are a three and a half point favorite. Obviously, they have a better record than Cincinnati. They did beat Cincinnati all the way back in week two, 27-24. Ironically, that was actually the exact final score I predicted was the Ravens beat the Bengals 27-24 in week two. But that doesn't matter now. doesn't matter because if the Bengals, and this is kind of a must-win situation for Cincinnati, at least if they want to win the AFC North, and arguably if they want to make the playoffs, they're two games back. They lose to Baltimore. They're three games back. Their chances to win that brutal division are dead. Baltimore's back in business. And if you look at Cincinnati's schedule, it does not get easier, okay? Because they face the Steelers, the Jaguars, Colts, Vikings, Steelers, Chiefs, Browns. There's not an easy game after this. There's not a game where you're like, outside of the outside of the Colts, they should beat the Colts. Outside of the Colts, there's not a game where you should look at and say, yeah, Cincinnati should win and win pretty easily. Not to say they won't, not to say they can't. But it's, it's on the board. So Baltimore, again, coming off of a, a heartbreaking, double-digit lead-blown game against the Cleveland Browns on Sunday. Against what we ended up finding out today being a Deshaun Watson who goes 14-for-14 14 14 the second half with a messed-up shoulder. And Deshaun's out for the year. So you got a healthy Joe Burrow coming in, the healthiest he's been all season. I'm sure him... Tyler Boyd, especially pissed off considering how that game ended against the Houston Texans. The drop there at the end, Burrow turned the football over twice. Very uncharacteristic of him. Jamar Chase is going to be a factor for Cincinnati because T. Higgins is reportedly out for this game with an injury. So the focus for Baltimore, stop number one, stop Jamar Chase, stop Joe Burrow and that connection between the two LSU guys. As for Cincinnati's defense, again, they're, they're losing some multiple guys. On their front four uh, due to injury for Baltimore. Listen, the good news for them is the fact that they lost the double-digit di- lead, but Odell Beckham Jr. See him catch that long touchdown against the against the Cleveland Browns. It's a healthier Odell's looked in years, probably since his Rams days. Okay, Zay Flowers is still a very good player, even as a rookie. Mark Andrews, they got the pieces there in Baltimore. Great offensive line, and again, despite the fact the defense didn't play that well, especially in the fourth quarter against Cleveland, still number one in the league in scoring defense. So this is going to be a matchup. The divisional familiarity. There's no. There's no mystery between. I mean, you could maybe try a trick play or something. But there's no mystery between Zach Taylor, John Harbaugh, uh, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow. Heck, we saw these two teams face the playoffs a year ago, and the Ravens almost beat Cincinnati with no Lamar Jackson, with Tyler Huntley at quarterback. Here's what I think is going to happen. I get there's no T Higgins, and I get Joe Mixon has had a little bit of an up and down season. I think there's the Ravens. I'm sorry, the Bengals are going to rely on the running game. And I think this is going to be the game where Joe Burrow puts himself right back in the MVP discussion. Jamar Chase says, hey, you're talking about Tyreek Hill. You're talking about A.J. Brown and C.D. Lamb and Devontae Adams. Hey, could you give me some love? I mean, I am, after all, a a guy who consistently gives well over 1,000 yards per season since I stepped foot in this league. I'm going to go with the upset. Give me the Bengals over the Ravens, 27 Yes, they dropped 27 on this excellent defense, 27 to 20. The Bengals defeat the Ravens on Thursday night football in Baltimore. Bengals get right back because they need this one far more than Baltimore needs it. Bengals win 27 to 20 uh, over the Baltimore Ravens uh, and, and get it done and get to six and four and put themselves in a position where they're not just right back in the playoff mix, but very much in the division mix. AFC North is is no joke, man. It is, trust me, as a Steelers fit. It is no joke. What a fun show, though. Had a blast. The Draymond Green, Rudy Gobert thing, and Deshaun done for the year, and the Bills Broncos, Bryson's best Tim. Fun, fun show today. With that, that's all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live on Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. 3 p.m. Pacific time right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. Of course, be sure sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. Again, I mentioned this, we are trying to get to 1,000 subscribers on Carving It Up Live before Super Bowl, or at least by Super Bowl 58, February the 11th. So we still have a few months to do that. We still have a few months to, to reach that goal. I believe we can. We've surpassed the 500 subscriber mark last week and just building from there. So if you have subscribed, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that and thank you for it. Please tell your friends, your family, everybody you know about it. If you haven't subscribed, hey, it just takes a couple seconds. If you're on YouTube... That, that, that uh, red button. I always get the get it wrong with my finger. Right there. Right there. The red button. The red one that says subscribe. Hit it. There you go. Part of the carving up family. Look how easy that was. And uh, you need to, to get our, our short-form content as well. And, of course, just as important, go subscribe to The Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, The Grid Podcast Network right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere. You get your favorite podcast. We have some fantastic, cannot emphasize that enough, folks, fantastic content creators and overall just great dudes here at this network. So please, please, please tune into their content on the Grid's YouTube channel and, again, wherever you get your podcast as well. And, of course, subscribe. All right, going to react to this game. Talking about Bengals-Ravens. Going to react to it on Friday, of course. Maybe some Jim Harbaugh news. Man, who knows? Maybe get some more Harbaugh news. Talk about the Michigan and the Volview. It's going to be a fun show. Give me a fun show, no doubt about it. And, of course, NFL predictions for Week 11 cannot wait. All right. Stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, I beg of you, contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence here in America. We've got to address this problem. All right. See you on Friday. Hopefully, I will not be discussing any chokeholds. <laughs> or, or maybe I'll be talking about a dream on suspension. Who knows? I'll be, I'll be talking about that point. That's why I love sports. See y'all then. Stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. Just don't grab Clay Thompson. That's all I'm asking Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. And be sure to go click that big red subscribe button. And check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live. As well as our other incredible content creators here on The Grid Network.